Hey there, Vernacular Faithful, Redcoat here. And Sienter joins him. Today, Sienter is going to interview me about Soul Calibur games, because I love the games and I have a lot to say about them. So, why do you love them? So, this comes back to one of the things that I saw in the Tekken series, which is, in my opinion, the predecessor to the Soul Calibur series. Aren't both series ongoing? They are ongoing. Yes, they are. Um, but it's basically from a mechanical standpoint. What Soul Calibur is, in my opinion, is it's an evolution of what they did in Tekken. Okay, so for those who might be unfamiliar then, can you kind of explain how Soul Calibur mechanically functions? Okay, so Soul Calibur is a uh, one-on-one fighting game. You have characters that have weapons that have varying lengths and actions associated with them. And you get put into an arena, and you kind of duke it out for a bit with swords. Okay. I know that this game is also not a 2D fighter, right? Yes. It is a game that is presented as a 2D fighter, but has a 3D arena within which you move. Hence why I reference Tekken, because that is the originator... Well, not necessarily the originator. I had to check my history, but it's one of the earliest games to actually do this sort of idea, where we're looking at it from 2D, but... There's depth to the field, so the characters can move not only forward and back, but in and out. Okay, so can you give an idea of how a match kind of plays flow-wise? Yes. So, and this is one of the things that I appreciate about Soul Calibur in general, um, is that its, its flow is healthy, as I will call it. Basically, a match starts, you're both at a neutral position, and um, somebody has to take an action. And there are a bunch of different actions you could take. You could move towards your opponent, you could move back, you can move um, around them, either to the right or to the left, or you can go for an attack. Or you can hold block in anticipation of your opponent doing something. And so the player goes to do their attack. And the opponent can respond in many different ways, right? They can basically go, like, I'm going to block, I'm going to move, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge that attack. Depending on the nature of the attack that is used to attack the opponent, the opponent will either successfully avoid or defend against the attack, thus not taking any damage or being put into a position of disadvantage, or the opponent will take the hit and then be put into a position of disadvantage. At which point, depending on the nature of the disadvantage they're put in, the attacker might get a follow-up. However, most cases, the attacked player, instead of um, getting comboed out after getting that first hit confirmed, which is what usually happens in most fighting games, right? they get the option to respond to this position of disadvantage that they are in. Basically, now that they've been hit, they're going to be acting later than their opponent does. And so they have to make a decision, am I going to try and back away Am I going to try and block? Am I going to use guard impact to make an opportunity for myself to attack? They get to respond to the opponent's attack on them. Okay, so there are some concepts that you brought up there that I think are worth going over. The first one is, what does hit confirm mean? Okay, so in general, when we're looking at fighting games, a hit confirm is a starter. So when I say a starter, I mean, generally speaking, you have a whole bunch of different attacks that you can use in a game. And there are certain attacks that put your opponent in enough stun frames that you can do another attack before they recover. So in other words, it means that if I were to punch Sientir 
and go like, if this attack were a hit confirm, then that means that Sienter would not be able to defend against the next attack that I do. Okay, so this is kind of the foundation of a combo, right? Yes. A hit confirm is the starting impetus of a combo. Okay, and when you say somebody gets comboed out, what do you mean by that? Basically, somebody getting comboed out is essentially, once you got that first hit confirmed, if you perform the combo without any executional errors, they will die. Okay, so in other words, landing that first hit confirm, if you, uh, if you execute your combo properly, you'll drain all of their HP. Yes, and uh, while a lot of games nowadays have done a lot to avoid having those um, one-and-done combos, basically from full health to death. It still doesn't change the fact that most of the games that do have this implementation of the hit-confirmable combo will make you take more than 50% of your HP in the process. I see. What are some of the specific things that Soul Calibur games do to kind of prevent this play pattern? First thing that it does is that it makes it so that the juggle state, which is one of the most common ways to make a combo continue. Um, to interrupt you here, just could you define juggle real quickly? So the juggle state is basically when you hit an opponent, you knock them into the air, and they are still in hit stun. Okay. Uh, and what this means is that since they're in the air and they're in hit stun, you can get to them, and they can't really influence anything about what's happening at this point. And so you can get to them, you can start damaging them. Okay, so it's kind of like uh, the, the name, juggling balls, keeping balls up in the air, you're keeping the, your opponent up in the air. Kind of yeah, thing. yeah, exactly. Um, this was a big thing in Tekken, and this is one of the things that Soul Calibur specifically did some implementations to avoid uh, being quite as exploitative. Okay, can you kind of go into those then? Yes, so one of the first things in um, Soul Calibur that they did is that you actually have aerial, um, aerial directional influence. So in other words, when you get knocked up into the air, you can move your character so that they angle themselves away from the opponent. So kind of the idea that your path of uh, fall, for lack of a better phrase, is unpredictable. Yes, so when a player goes to juggle you, they don't have all of the answers as to where you're going to be per se. To actually get a proper combo in this game, the opponent has to either be on the ground or it's like immediately after your first launched attack. Can you potentially do follow-ups if you're able to predict where your opponent's going to go? Yes. Yes, you can. Usually, for most characters, there aren't very many follow-ups that they can do after an attack, like maybe... I think the maximum that I saw at intermediate level play, mind you, and this is intermediate level, you would get like four or five. But usually it'd be one, two, maybe three. Okay. Um, how much damage do attacks usually do? So in Soul Calibur, the initial attacks, uh, the initial damage amount is actually decently high, depending on, well, depending on the character. But if you get a good counter hit, on someone, you can take off about, like, 20% of HP. Okay. So when you said um, potentially up to, like, five, but usually about one to three follow-up attacks... Yeah. Would the follow-up attacks be weaker than those initial hits? Yes, they would be... Um, oh, what's the word? Uh, I'm trying to remember what... Pro-rated? The... Yes, that is the term. Okay. They would be pro-rated. 
the uh, attacks on an aerial opponent in particular are heavily prorated in that game. I see. So it disincentivizes you from trying to juggle because your damage goes way down. Uh, and you can't really keep it up in the first place. Yeah. Well, it's not so much that you're disincentivized because it's still a guaranteed hit. Sure. But it does mean that that's not the only thing you need to learn to really be able to beat your opponent. Okay. And it's not... So, like, that combined with the fact that the opponent has some control over where they go uh, makes it possible to get out of an aerial combo. Because otherwise, the proration would just make the combo last longer, right? Exactly. The other thing that also that makes it so that players don't necessarily get comboed out is the fact that grounded combos, which there are, mm-hmm. can really only be initiated on counter hit. So this is a big thing with this game in particular. Um, certain attacks will change their properties based on if you're hitting the opponent while they are attacking you, or if you're just hitting the opponent out of a neutral state. Okay, and so hitting the opponent while they're in an attacking you state is a counter hit? Yes, exactly. And then these have better properties? Yes, so normally your character would just go, ugh, and they get hit and kind of step back a little bit. Sure. But when you get a counter hit, you can do several things. Like, it may cause the opponent to crumple, which means that they're in a I'm-hit animation for a longer period of time. Right, that gives you an opportunity to follow up. Yeah, and there are different ways that an opponent can crumple, where they actually stand up straight for a short period of time, which means you can hit them with different things, or they double over, which means there's a specific set of things that you can hit them with, or they get knocked away and they land on the ground and they kind of... They land on their keys and kind of struggle for a little bit. <laughs> okay. Um, how do the arenas factor into matches in Soul Calibur? So they determine a lot about... Well, they determine a lot about a couple of things. The first thing is they determine how much space you actually have to navigate around your opponent. Um, but they also determine... They also determine a lot about what kinds of follow-ups you can do. Because what I said about that whole counter-hit deal... Mm-hmm. This uh, effect is increased if the opponent is knocked on a wall. Okay. So if you counter hit an opponent into a wall, it tends to be more potent? Is that what you mean? So say if you knock an opponent into a wall, um, uh, the counter hit state that was initially done was already something that knocks them back, right? Sure. So that means that your follow-ups are limited because there's only a few moves that you could actually use to catch up to them and hit them. I see. So the wall blocking, as it were, the knockback allows you to have more options. Yes. And on counter hit in specific, they'll actually wall splat, as the term is, where they will hit the wall and they'll go, oh, and be there for a little bit longer. Okay. Uh, Do the stages ever have any hazards? They don't really, well, it's depending on the game, but for the most part, they don't have hazards other than being wrung out. Okay, and so that's an alternate way to lose? Oh, that is an alternate way to lose. Um, A lot of people have bandied about calling that a comeback mechanic. I don't really consider that the comeback mechanic as much as just a looming threat. I see. Also, for for those of you out there who don't know, so a comeback mechanic in most fighting games, it's basically when you're losing, it's something that was implemented to make it so that you still stand a fighting chance, essentially. Yeah, there are different examples of this. Uh, one of the more clear ones is uh, actually the blue shell from Mario Kart. 
which is sort of a comeback mechanic. Yeah, it, it counts. Um, I mean, it's more the way random items are implemented. Yeah, for sure. But, like, in fighting games in general, the most common comeback mechanic is the idea that as you get hit, you build meter. Okay, and meter is for... Meter is for special moves that usually have better properties. And so, say, uh, Street Fighter Four was a good example of this. Like, their, their, their ultra system was expressly this, where the only way you could build up your ultra meter was by getting hit. And so, as you got hit and got closer to losing the match, that you would gain access to a super that gave you a new tool. And uh, they, they did the same thing for Street Fighter V. And while I'm not, I'm not quite fully a fan of their implementation of it, but that's a talk for another time. Sure. Uh, does Soul Calibur have specials in it? So now this is an interesting thing about its history, because before it was called Soul Calibur Soul Edge, it did have super meter. It was the critical edge meter, and you could do a super with a really complex and kind of convoluted input that would usually do massive amounts of damage to your opponent. After Soul Edge on the PlayStation, when it moved to the Dreamcast with Soul Calibur, they took that out and just focused on the core play of the game. I see. Speaking of which, how are the controls? The controls are, well, I think they're smooth as butter. <laughs> it's a very responsive game, although one of the things of note is it does benefit from a certain way that they handle their frames, uh, their, or the frames of activity in the okay. game. So, again, this is something that it inherits from Tekken. So, in general, the frame data for a Soul Calibur game, what some would call slower than for a 2D game. What I mean by that is, an attack is structured as it has startup, active frames, and then cooldown frames, right? Sure. So... The structure of a Soul Calibur or Tekken attack has more startup frames and more active frames and more cooldown frames than a, an attack of a similar functionality in any 2D fighter. I see. So in other words, the attacks just straight up take longer to perform. Yes. And because of that, it means that there's more time for the player to recognize what is happening and see what's going on um, but it also means that there's certain elements of just how the characters animate and move that is more fluid, I think I'll say. Sure. So since this is a 3D game, it wouldn't logically have access to certain types of motions used in fighting games. So how complicated are its controls as a result? Soul Calibur, and again, this is another thing it inherits from Tekken, and I'm, I'm going to be saying this a lot. <laughs> Soul Calibur has a very simplified control scheme when compared to games like uh, Street Fighter or King of Fighters. Okay. So, in general, you're not going to see quarter roll do a thing, which a quarter roll is down, diagonal forward, forward, and then button. Like, that is not something that you normally see uh, in a character's moveset for Soul Calibur. There are a few characters that use that motion but there's usually not a button associated with the fur with it, which is interesting. Um, but I'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. How are things controlled from a 3D standpoint, then? Uh, well, how do you mean? Um, are the presentations from the game on a side-on view? Yes. Okay. 
So if I want to sort of circle around my opponent, you indicate that's something you can do, right? Yes, yes. So how does that factor into the game, I guess? So this is an interesting dealie because one of the ways that you can see a 3D game being presented is from an isometric view, where the camera is up in the corner, you can see the entirety of the field, and your characters kind of move around, and the camera rotates such that everyone stays in screen, right? Sure. So this game chose instead from that just to be like, well, we're looking at you from the side still. So when you sidestep, basically the camera pivots so that you stay on that same plane. Okay, right? so the camera maintains the players on the same plane, but the plane can be kind of rotated, as it were. Yeah, like, it's, uh, basically think of it like the way um, being locked onto somebody in Legend of Zelda is, where basically, when you lock onto somebody, it's like you're putting a tether on them, right? And so your, mov sure. your movement is in a radial way with respect to them. Is it kind of similar to Tales of Symphonia? Um, not quite. Okay. So, thing with Tales of Symphonia is that you are in a linear trough. Yes. You can't actually move left or right with respect to that linear trough. At least uh, in Symphonia specifically. It's later on games, you've got the ability to do um, sidesteps and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but... In both cases, the difference is the amount of freedom you have with regards to that trough. Okay. Um, so, I guess the way I would say is, in Soul Calibur, you always move in a radial way with respect to your opponent. Because you're basically, that's the only person you're facing, so that's the only character you need to be oriented to. Okay, that makes sense. And the camera is aligned such that if there was a tether between you and the opponent, it would keep aligned with that tether. You're right. So it's kind of, if you draw a line from you to your opponent, there's an orthogonal... Yeah, there's an orthogonal... Pole that it's attached to. Yeah, basically. Um, so I have a, another sort of interesting question. You've talked some about some of the offensive options with things like uh, how you follow up with attacks and counterattacks and that sort of stuff. How are the defensive options? So Soul Calibur is one of the few games out there that... Well, I'm not going to say few. It's one of the games out there that features a lot of defensive options... And they're more obviously visible than in some other games. Can you elaborate on that? So, I'm going to use Guilty Gear as an example. Sure. In Soul Calibur, defenses that you can use are you can high block, you can low block, and you can, uh, can sidestep. Okay. And uh, you can also guard impact. What is guard impact? Guard impact is basically when an opponent attacks you, you push your guard into the opponent and rebound their attack off of that guard. And so it forces them into a position of disadvantage for attacking you. Okay. Basically. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. Um, like, from a mechanical standpoint, is this kind of like advancing towards your opponent while blocking? Uh, or is there a specific button for doing this? Well, the input for it is forward and block. It's not so much that you're moving towards your opponent and doing it as much oh, okay. as you push block and you push forward and your character goes ha and puts out a hitbox. Okay, so it's kind of kind of like a, a Dark Souls parry box. Yeah, it's almost exactly that. Okay. The main difference is that you don't get an immediate follow-up. Um, you have to make a decision as to what you're going to do afterward. Right, so it creates an opening as opposed to a specific... Okay, that makes sense to me. So the thing about Soul Calibur's defensive options is that they're things that, other than guard impact, are immediately, immediately discernible. Like, you can block high, you can block low, and you can move. And that just makes sense. 
Sure. And even guard impact, because it's such a natural motion of just forward and guard. And that, yeah. that logically makes sense. Mm-hmm. In um, Guilty Gear, you have your defensive options, you actually have a lot of them. Just some of them are a little bit harder to realize that you have than others. Because the immediate one that everyone knows about is um, Force Break. Which is basically, when you're in a combo, you make this explosion of air around you and throw the opponent away from you. Ah, uh, sort of bursts. I've seen it as well. Oh yeah, no, I'm sorry. I said Force Break. You did. It's burst. It's burst. Force Break is a different thing. Okay. But you have that, uh, and you explode, and the opponent goes like, oh, what do I do? Uh, kind of thing. Right. It's just kind of uh, a force vector away from you. Yeah, it's, it's a get-off move, basically. Right. But the other stuff you have is you have a thing called a dead angle. So in Guilty Gear, combo pressure, like when you're in block, you'll get held in block stun for a long period of time where an opponent is just putting attack after attack after attack after attack, and you'll just be there. For a long period of time. Okay. A dead angle is a move that you can do out of block to knock your opponent away from you and um, force them to stop pressuring you. I see. So that's a move that a lot of top-level players know about, but when you're first playing the game, you don't really know that that's a thing or how to even get at it. Right. It's a tool that's in your toolbox that might be really important, but you don't even know it's there. Yeah. And the other defensive option that they have is... Um, blocking, apparently. Yes, they have blocking, but there's a special form of blocking. Oh, special blocking. Yeah, it's indicated by a green circle that comes around your character when you do it. I forget, actually, the input for how to do it, but basically, when you block, you'll start using meter, and your opponent's attacks push them out further than they normally would. Okay, so in other words... Normally when they hit you when you're blocking, they, they get, maybe get moved a little bit of a distance away from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have to try to make sure that they're keeping on you. But this makes that distance bigger. Yeah. And um, so it's another way to manage the pressure, uh, the inherent pressure of the game. Because Guilty Gear is ostensibly an extremely offensive game. I see. Yeah, Speaking but... of which, going back to Soul Calibur, you mentioned having the sort of, uh, I forget what you called it, but I'm going to call it the parry thing. Yeah, uh, um, it's basically parry, yeah. The, the parry thing and... Uh, the importance of counter hits. Yes. Both of these sound like they really punish attacking. Mm-hmm. So how does that affect the pace of play and I guess sort of how players determine when to actually launch an attack? Yes, yeah, so it does mean that players are a little bit more timid about throwing out attacks. Like, in general, in a 2D game, the person who throws out an attack and puts themselves into a position of I'm attacking your block is much more advantaged. Than in a than in Soul Calibur per se. Now that said, the reason why this is is because is because of the speed of the games. So in a two D game, when you throw out an attack, it almost immediately comes out. Okay. Like you have three frames of startup, maybe four or five. Um, eight is really slow, and then the attack is active for two. And then maybe like two frames or such. And these are at 60 frames per second? 60 frames per second. Okay. So this is really, this is, it's really fast. Yeah. So like for reference with three, that's like a 20th of a second. Yeah. Yeah. Unreactable basically. Right. Um, In Soul Calibur, it follows a similar structure to Tekken where the fastest attack that can come out is eight frames. 
Okay. And everything else, everything is higher than that. Like, you know, getting to like 20 or getting to 20 frames in some uh, situations. Okay. So it's a more deliberate pace of play. Yeah. So that means that if you're watching for it and your opponent goes, I'm going to do an attack, you can go, I'm going to guard impact you. Now I get to do an attack. Mm -hmm. It means that players have to kind of pick and choose what they're going to do, but there is one other aspect to the offensive play that I haven't actually gone into. Oh, okay. That I need to. So, in most 2D fighters, you have overheads and you have lows. You do also have highs, but that's basically the way it works. So, when you are attacking an opponent, you can either do a standing attack, which is blockable by standing, or a blockable by standing and blocking, or you can do a low attack, which they can block by um, standing low. Mm -hmm. However, when they are in low block, they can be hit by overheads. Sure. But in most 2D games, the way they're structured is that the only way to get an overhead is to jump and hit the opponent, or to use an attack that is considered slow by their frame standards. Gotcha. So what this means is that, initially, starting out, a player is really hard to open up if they crouch block. Okay, yeah, because that blocks most things. Yeah, which is why those games run so much faster with just the inputs and things, because at this point, it's less about guessing where the player is going to attack, uh, where the player is going to defend properly, and more about just putting enough pressure on them that they make a, they decide, I want to get out now at the wrong time. Well, after a fashion. There's more to it, but with Soul Calibur, the quote-unquote overhead zone is called the mid-zone. Okay. Another inheritance from Tekken. Sure. And the basic idea is that you can do highs, mids, or lows at any point in combat. So if your opponent decides to crouch block, you immediately have an answer. If your opponent decides to stand block, you immediately have an answer. So does guard impact have a specific zone that it guard impacts in? Originally, it did. Uh, when Soul Calibur Six came out, they made it universal. Okay. Which has, uh, has had some effects on the play. I imagine so. So that actually brings up another really important question. When we initially chose this topic, is specifically about Soul Calibur II. Mm -hmm. Why was that? Because I considered Soul Calibur II to be one of the best design fighting games of all time. And uh, I stand by that statement, although Soul Calibur VI is giving it a run for its money. Okay. So, um... I can understand how it would be better than Soul Calibur 1. Why do you consider it better than 3, 4, and 5? Ah, yes, now we get into some interesting stuff. So, Soul Calibur 3 was functionally broken, and I don't mean from a balance standpoint. You mean from an actual, like, things didn't work right? Yes. Single-player mode aside, which could wipe your console. Uh, what now? <laughs> yeah, there was, there was some stuff that you could do where it was basically a ticking time bomb, and it would just wipe all of the data that you had. Uh, for that game. Whoopsie! But the other thing was that in the actual build of the game, first off, the characters were not necessarily well-balanced at first. Like, there were really only two characters that were competitively viable, as they say. So you mean that of the entire cast, there are two characters that could basically whoop everyone? Yes, and it was mostly due to their frame data. They were, like I said about, you know, how the fastest thing is like eight frames. Right. And those characters had something that was at eight frames that punished really, really hard, and so they could just respond to a ton of stuff and just be like, bam, now I take it all over Okay, life. so they could 
basically have really strong responses for the counterattacking thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, okay, well, that's that's pretty bad. But the actual really terrible thing, although this did end up writing the balance, which is silly, basically, there was a way to make it so that when you were in the air, you were considered as standing. And this did some funky stuff for how you could do functional stuff. That sounds like you could exploit things strangely. Yeah, it basically meant that this combined with the fact that you could break out of throw animations such that the character was still being thrown, but you were free to do whatever you wanted. Uh... Um, made it so that characters that normally were playing a very poking game gained 50 to 75% hit combos. Okay. So, in basic, Soul Calibur 3, they moved to a different dev team, so I know, so I have pretty good understanding of why it... <laughs> It, it went that badly. It was a buggy mess. Yeah, they were trying to rebuild Soul Calibur 2, but the problem was they added a whole bunch of single-player component stuff without actually understanding that they needed to make the core game work. Oh, uh, okay. So it's people who are kind of inexperienced and approached it the wrong way. Yeah, basically. So, you know, so it was like, that happened. And it was like, okay, that was bad. Yeah. Um, but then Soul Calibur 4 came out, and, you know, there was this spark of hope. Everyone's like, oh, man, Soul Calibur's back, baby. Was there a long time between the release of 3 and 4? There was a decent amount of time. Not too much, but okay. a decent amount of time. Enough that you were, like, excited about Soul Clapper 4 being announced, sort of thing. Yeah, Soul Clavicle 4. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the collarbones of fate. Yes. So, the way that one went down was, like, it came out, and people were like, oh, man, this is interesting. We've got this new critical edge mechanic, which doesn't work off of meter. It works off of you exploding your opponent's clothes. Which was a little weird. Okay. I, I think they wanted fan service. That would be an explanation. Yeah. Um, like, I can understand certain games having that, but it seems like a weird mechanic to introduce in the fourth entry in a franchise. Yeah. Well, there were a couple of things that were odd from an aesthetic standpoint with Soul Calibur 4. Um, because I felt like... So, in Soul Calibur, up until this point, up until the point of 3, which is where they started really deviating... Uh-huh. It was very much kind of a low fantasy deal where okay. magics were kind of ill-defined things that it was rare that you would find something ridiculously powerful or something that just completely kind of changed the way the world worked. So it's more like influence rather than like fireball. Yeah, like for instance, the very structure of what Nightmare is, where Nightmare is the soul of the evil blade. Anybody who touches the evil blade becomes a vessel of nightmare. I see. It's rather than it being that the blade is capable of manifesting crazy new beings into the world through its own power or, you know, capable of, of shooting evil beams or what have you. Okay. Which Soul Calibur 3 started deviating from that where they basically said the blade creates a new body for itself. Um, which was a start. I was like, ah, I'm okay with this, sort of. I realized they want to keep using the Nightmare character design, um, and canonically in Soul Calibur 2, the blade was supposed to be handed off to someone else. It's beside the point. But Soul Calibur 4 kind of went even further into the high fantasy route, where mm -hmm. a lot of character designs became, they looked like they came out of World of Warcraft. Like, 
Siegfried looked like a, a paladin of ice. Did he have enormous pauldrons? He had... He, yeah. It was... I mean, the it wasn't so much that his pauldrons were big as much as the ice on top of it was big. Oh, okay. Because when I think of WoW design, I think of, uh, like, really cartoony and crazy proportions. Yeah, it was... It was basically, there was a little bit of, there was a lot of that going on, and it was also just, in general, everything became more decadent. Like, there was just more bangles and baubles on these characters that just didn't, they just, they weren't functional things, but. Was it kind of like a visual mess? Yeah, there was just too much going on, okay. in my opinion. So the silhouettes were kind of disrupted and all that sort of thing. Yeah, there, there was a lot going on there. That, that's kind of an aesthetic thing. How was it mechanically, then, with this, like... Explode your opponent's clothes to get super meter. Yeah, so it's explode your opponent's clothes to get the ability to kill them in one shot. Okay, so the idea is you you hit them, you destroy their armor, and then you make them vulnerable to one shots. Yeah, basically, the 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 core concept is kind of unsound when compared to the rest of the game. Now I understand. I think a part of it was that they wanted to encourage more offensive play because the game has a lot of defensive tools. Yeah, no, for sure. You you certainly emphasize that. So, so my kind of follow-up question is, how viable was this? It was, admittedly, I didn't see it very often, but then again, the tournament scene around the game didn't really get a chance to develop for one particular reason, and it's a similar issue to what they had in Soul Calibur 3. There was one character that could beat everyone else. Okay. Um, it was a new character who, honestly, she was one of the best-designed new things to be added to the game. Like, I really liked her aesthetic. But she could bring you out from the starting part of the stage if she hit you with a particular move. That sounds like a problem. It was a problem. It very much was. Okay. So, the biggest problem with that game was that there's one character who could basically instant ring you out at the start of the match and win the game. Yes. Aesthetic things aside, which I know some people actually like where it went, and I'm fine with that, I don't, <laughs> but the, the balance, the way that they balanced that game, it felt like they didn't quite fully understand what made things good. Did Soul Calibur V fix that? Yes and no. So Soul Calibur V managed to re-achieve the rhythm of movement that Soul Calibur II had, which I, I guess I forgot to mention. In Soul Calibur IV, movement did feel a little bit off. Mm. Soul Calibur V, they, they got that back, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is cool, we're back. And then they were like, oh, wait, so Critical Edges, I see what you were trying to do in Soul Cal 4, but we had an implementation of that way back in Soul Edge. Right. Where we with had... meters. Yeah, with meters. So we're like, let's get those back, because Street Fighter's popular right now, and people are all about that meter management stuff, so let's do that again. Let's do that here. And so, uh, you know, I, I can see why they would make that decision. And for what it's worth, the problem is that, again, they put something new on, but they forgot to make sure that what was there before still functioned. I see. So it's sort of the problem of um, focusing on the new and shiny without making sure that everything... Like, you're making sure that the car styling is really good, but the engine that's running it and the drivetrain and uh, all of that is just not up to snuff. Yeah. Because, again, they got closer. Like, they had a lot of the feel there. But the problem was that the EX 
system or the meters uh, took the offensive defensive pace of the game and made it a lot more into the offensive thing. Because now instead of only counter hits really resulting in you cashing out your damage, uh-huh. now it was as soon as you hit somebody, if you had meter, you could force a damage conversion. And depending on how much meter you had, you could just tear through their life. Damage conversion? So, in other words, and that's another term for uh, successfully getting a hit confirmed. Okay. So it's basically, you get a hit confirmed, and then you have to convert. Okay, you have to convert that to something that does damage. Yeah. So, uh, an example is completing a combo is converting the damage. Converting it to damage. But these were basically supers that once you got a hit confirmed, you could convert to huge quantities of damage. Essentially, yes. Now, they're separate from supers. This is, uh, this is why I refer to it as EX meter. Okay. Because so EXs were introduced in Street Fighter 3. Uh, not, not for 3. Street Fighter 3rd Impact, not 3. Although that's technically the third game. The naming scheme for Street Fighter is complete bananas. We'll overlook it. Yes. So for Street Fighter 3rd Impact, they introduced the idea of EXs, where you have meter for your super. But if you don't want to just build up meter so that you can spend it all on a super, you can spend like a quarter or a certain small portion of it to use a move that it enhanced. Okay, and this is what the problem was in uh, Soul Cal 5? Yes. The enhancement moves in general were structured such that the main thing that you used them for, at least in my understanding, the main thing that you used them for was now that I've gotten this random hit, I'm going to cash it out and get a massive amount of damage. I see. And so that changed some things about how well the rhythm of the game uh, rolled out. There was also this aspect of when you sidestepped, you would get counter hit pretty hard. And so moving around somebody was a lot less viable of a defense. Hmm. Especially with the fact that if they got that, if they got you there, then you knew they were going to spend the rest of their bar just to kill you. Right, which is a huge problem. How was the character balance? I'm glad you asked. It was... It was sad. Um, as sad as the previous game where they had one viable character? Uh, like, I, I'll admit, when I got there and I saw that this was happening, I didn't watch the top-level tournaments as much. Okay. But what I understand is that there was this one character who, again, aesthetics terrible in my opinion i know a lot of people actually liked her but i i was just like this is not the type of fantasy that i think soul Calibur should be but her thing was she had this crystal ball and she'd move it around and do stuff okay and they're like okay well that that doesn't seem too bad i mean she her range is very strangely either way out away from her or right up close to her but it's like okay whatever we'll we'll go with that but the thing was that she had a throw that left you standing that she could combo into and just keep doing. Oh. Oh no. She had an infinite from a throw, which, you know, it's something that, it's how you break through somebody's guard. Yeah, that's typically the case I've found. Yeah. In Soul Calibur's, up until Soul Calibur Six, where they changed this, there were certain throws that were unbreakable. Specifically back throws. And as I understand it, the reason why this combo worked was because it was from back throw. Okay. Oh, so I, it was a back throw you couldn't do much about. Yeah, it was just it just happened. Astroth and Voldo could technically break it because they're special. But 
It was a problem. Okay. So in other words, your number of viable characters was fairly small in that one as well. Yes. Now, at early tournaments, you got to see a bunch of different other characters show up, but by the end of it, it was like, mm. Mm-hmm. Soul Calibur 2 was much better in terms of number of viable characters. Yes. Yes at the, uh, yes the mid-high level, I will say. Now, I will not say that it was entirely perfect balance-wise. Sure, no fighting game really is. Yeah. There were some characters that were a little bit more oppressive at the intermediate level. Cassandra and Zephidia, who were the best characters in Soul Calibur 3, they still had some, some of the more oppressive frame data where they had moves that could lead into counter hits off of, um, off of small punishes. I see. It's just, at the high level, you could make any character really work in that game. Okay, so now that we've gone through sort of the uh, issues with 3, 4, and 5, how does 6 stack up? So 6 is still early in its, uh, in its tournament lifespan, but what I can definitely say about it is they got the rhythm right. I'm glad that they focused on that. They pulled back a little bit on the aesthetic. I'm still not a fan of some of the things that they're doing with it, but overall, I'm just glad that they, they pulled back a little bit and said, okay, we're, we're going to lower the fantasy a little bit, just a little. And overall, the implementation of the critical edge system is much better this time around. Um, there are only a couple characters that actually do the EX thing, and they are specifically balanced around that aspect of how they work. Okay. You also have a... They made Soul Charge actually function, which is something I haven't mentioned at all here. You are correct. <laughs> what um, is Soul Charge? Okay. So, in Soul Calibur's past, you had this ability called Soul Charge, where the character would go like, and they'd increase... They'd change properties on some of their moves. The problem was that it was not a viable option because it would change the properties on your next move, and then it'd kind of go away, and if the opponent hit you, it was done. Okay, so it was aggressively temporary and a bit of a risk to activate? Yes. Okay. So, in Soul Calibur Six, they directly addressed this issue, where, first off, they connected it to your meter, so it's not, it's not something that you can do at all times, so they don't have to balance it quite as aggressively. Okay, that makes sense. Basically, what it becomes now is a pseudo-burst, like what they have in Guilty Gear. Okay, so for pushing people away from you when you activate it. Yeah, it pushes people away when you activate it, and it puts you into a, an enhanced mode for a short period of time that isn't lost when you're knocked down or anything like that. Okay, so it, it applies this kind of temporary but resilient buff to you. Yes, and the actual buffs to the moves are pretty visibly apparent. Okay, so you can actually figure out what's going on. Yeah, so that is a, um, that is a big improvement on what it was before. And you still have the critical edges, but instead of it being that I have to blow off some part of your chest to make it happen, it's just, if the opportunity arises, I will hit you with this, and I will get big damage. Okay. So, I think this is a good moment to kind of ask, what are some of the lessons that you think can be learned from the Soul Calibur franchise in general, or Soul Calibur 2 or 6 specifically, or any of that? So, the main thing that I think the Soul Calibur series in general does with its mechanical implementation and just the overall intention of how it moves is that the tit-for-tat is very much emphasized more than the player imposing their will on, on the play. And what I mean by that is the player 
when he goes in to do offense against their opponent, mm-hmm. and they actually make a successful offensive gambit, mm-hmm. they don't immediately take full control of the match. Okay. So, for context, uh, you're talking about the way that uh, hit confirms convert into combos in a traditional fighting game, where they basically try to keep up the combo until they mess up or the combo ends. So there is that aspect, which is already kind of like, whoa, why? But there, there's some fun involved in that. But the other thing is just in general how pressure is built in this game. Okay. So in most, I will say, anime fighters, um, which usually kind of follow after the Guilty Gear style, mm-hmm. the way it works is if you start attacking the opponent and you know what you're doing, you will keep them in block stun for a very long period of time. And for them to actually get out of that position of offensive disadvantage, they have to know what it is you're doing and where your openings are. I see. And the disadvantage of being in block stun is that there's chip damage? There is that, but it's more just the fact that any particular action you take could be stuffed, as they put it. Okay, and what does stuffed mean? So it's, you take the action, you're in your startup frames, but they're already in their active frames, so you don't get to take the action. Okay. So in other words, you're kind of trapped there taking chip damage and you can't do anything about it uh, generally because if you try to do anything, you're going to get hit and take damage and be in a worse position. Yeah. Like that's the whole crux of going from being an intermediate player to an advanced player in that game is knowing what you can do about the pressure. Okay. And you're saying that Soul Calibur has that in a healthier place. Yeah. In Soul Calibur in general, when you are in against an opponent, the main thing that's stopping you from attacking them is more hesitation. Hesitation on your part, where you're unsure of what option you should take. But there are options that you can take, and if you take the initiative to answer back, you're more likely to return yourself to uh, either a position of neutral or a position of advantage. Okay, so what this sounds like to me, and, and so I'm going to phrase this that way you can, can respond to confirm or not, is that Soul Calibur does a much better job of providing uh, the player with defensive options to kind of balance out how offensively powerful most fighting games are. Yes. In essence, this comes to one of the phrases that I use constantly when talking about fighting games, although I haven't used it at all today. It has a healthy rhythm. Okay. And so what does a healthy rhythm mean to you? So a healthy rhythm means to me that when one opponent attacks, the other opponent gets to do something in response to it. And so instead of it being... If I use tick and tack as the opponent's attack to the defender, it's the opponent, in most games, the opponent goes tick, 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 tack. And then the defender might become the offender and then start going tick, 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 tack. Okay. In Soul Calibur, the rhythm is closer to tick, tick, tack, tack, tick, 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 tack, 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 tick. And so that's a different rhythm. Okay. Whereas in one of them, basically it's a drum roll until the person breaks out and then does their own drum roll. Right. And in this case, it's the people are basically passing the sticks. Gotcha. Uh, and that allows for a more engaged experience we don't, where you don't feel like you lose control then. Yes, exactly. Okay, and you think that Soul Calibur 2 and 6 especially do a really good job of demonstrating how to achieve this? I do. Okay. I very much do. Are there any other specific lessons aside from how to, um, a model for a healthy rhythm? 
Um, I mean, the other lesson that I would take from it, specifically from Soul Calibur 2, although Soul Calibur 6 does do this, but that's more out of virtue of it coming off of its predecessor. Sure. Is that having a... When you're building a game that's about martial arts, actually looking at existing martial arts and kind of... And building your characters around them is actually a very useful thing. Okay. Um, another thing they'd inherited from Tekken. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, so another lesson is perhaps take your inspiration from useful places. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some fun to be had with going like, this character is a crazy inflatable witch who uses balloon magic. I just made that up right now. Sure, why um, not? But, you know, or... Or to actually take a reference from something, this guy is a werewolf butler. He turns into a werewolf and he does things. And he hits really hard. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a place for that. Sure. Um, but one of the things that I really felt made Soul Calibur kind of work the way that it did was there was a respect for the existing martial arts to the point where they actually did mocap for a lot of the moves in Soul Calibur 2. Mm. And that mocap, a lot of that mocap endures even to today. That's cool. And so that's something that I really appreciate, and it's another thing that they inherited from Tekken. Um, Of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Like Tekken 3 in particular, they actually brought in martial arts masters to do the moves. That's cool. So I guess if I have one final question for you, it's how has the Soul Calibur games influenced you as a designer? Um, I think the main thing that it influenced about me, I mean... There's some things about my definition of like a good aesthetic and just hanging on to that that I really appreciate. But I think in particular, it's defined a lot about what I think about player versus player interactions. Okay. Because I feel that a really edifying player versus player interaction is one where both players get to really interact non-trivially. And that that's what you should be enabling whenever you go into these versus situations where a player, because I always think of these things as a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, the player says attack A, player B responds with attack C, and then he leaves the, leaves the battlefield. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, the fun was there. Um, but a player B responds with attack C. Player A then hearing this response has to construct his own response. Mm-hmm. And I like that better because, first off, the players are actually getting to know each other just through fighting each other. Just mm-hmm. like how this person likes to be very aggressive and he, he likes to push the point. And the other person is very defensive and they like to respond to points or things like that, you know. Okay. But more importantly, it's just, it's more fun to interact than to be acted on. Yeah. Okay. So, it really, that whole rhythm thing that it has, would you say it was the first time you'd experienced that sort of rhythm? In a game, yes. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant, in the game. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of the, the one that presented that to you, and so it's the one that you've kind of um, latched onto. It's kind of like how, for me, Guild Wars 1's build system really connects to me deeply because it presents that something that really speaks to what I want from a game experience. Exactly, exactly. Okay, cool. Uh, is there any other things that you want to say before we close out? Um, I like Soul Calibur Six. And I like Soul Calibur 2. I don't like the ones in between. Other than that, you know what? I think that's it. Okay. So with that, join us next time for a discussion about gimmicks in games. And uh, this is Cian here, signing off.
And this is Redcoat, signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos.